Chapters 5 and 6 of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book 11, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Rev. Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 That the Son will not be excluded from being true God, even though he named God the Father the only true God. 3 and this is life eternal that they should know thee the only true god and him whom thou didst send even jesus christ he defines faith as the mother of eternal life and says that the power of the true knowledge of god will be such as to cause us to remain for ever in a state of incorruption and blessedness and sanctification and we say that that is true knowledge of god which cannot incur the reproach of turning aside to aught else, or running after things unseemly. For some have worshipped the creature rather than the creator, and have dared to say to a block of wood, Thou art my father, and to a stone, Thou hast begotten me. For to such abysmal ignorance did the miserable men relapse, that they even gave, in all its fullness, the great name of God, to senseless blocks of wood, and invested them with the ineffable glory of that nature, which is over all. He calls God the Father, then, the only true God, by contrast to spurious gods, and with the intention to distinguish the true God from those who are so named in error, for this is the object of his words. Very appropriately, then, he first speaks of God as being one and one only, and then makes mention of his own glory in the words, And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. For a man can in no wise attain to complete knowledge of the Father, unless side by side, and in most intimate connection with it, he lay hold on the knowledge of his offspring, that is, the Son. For if a man know what the Father is, he cannot but know also the Son. When, then, he said that the Father was the true God, he did not exclude himself. For being in him, and of him, by nature, he will be also himself the true God and the only God, as he is the only God. For beside him there is none other God who is the only true God. For the gods of the heathen are devils. For the creation is enslaved, and I know not how any worship them, or sink into such a slew of unreasoning and sensuous folly. With the many gods, then, in this world, who are erroneously so conceived, and have won this spurious title, the only true God is brought into contrast, and the Son also, who is by nature in Him, and of Him, at once in diversity and in identity of nature, according to a natural unity. I say in diversity of nature, because he has in fact an individual existence. For the Son is the Son, and not the Father. In identity of nature also, because the Son, who came forth from him, is inseparably joined by nature, with the existence of his Father. For the Father is one with the Son, even though he is the Father, and is so spoken of, because he did in fact beget him this then he says is eternal life that they should know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent 
then one of those who are never weary of hearkening to the scripture and seriously pursue the study of divine doctrines will ask do we say that knowledge is eternal life and that to know the one true and living god will suffice to give us complete security of expectation and nothing else be lacking then how is faith apart from works dead and when we speak of faith we mean the true knowledge of god and nothing else for by faith comes knowledge and the prophet isaiah bears us witness who said to some if ye do not believe neither shall ye understand and that the writings of the holy men are referring to the knowledge which consists in barren speculations a thing wholly profitless i think you will perceive from what follows for one of the holy disciples said thou believest that god is one thou doest well the devils also believe and shudder what then shall we say to this how does christ speak truth when he says that eternal life is the knowledge of god the father the one true god and with him of the son i think indeed we must answer that the saying of the saviour is wholly true for this knowledge is life travailing as it were in birth of the whole meaning of the mystery and vouchsafing unto us participation in the mystery of the eucharist whereby we are joined unto the living and life-giving word and for this reason i think paul says that the gentiles are made fellow-members of the body and fellow-partakers of christ inasmuch as they partake in his blessed body and blood for our members may in this sense be conceived of as being members of christ this knowledge then which also brings us to the eucharist by the spirit is life for it dwells in our hearts shaping anew those who receive it into sonship with him and moulding them into incorruption and piety towards god through life according to the gospel our lord jesus christ then knowing that the knowledge of the one true god brings unto us and so to speak promotes our union with the blessings of which we have spoken says that it is eternal life insomuch as it is the mother and nurse of eternal life being in its own power and nature pregnant with those things which cause life and lead unto it and i think we ought attentively to observe in what way christ says that the knowledge of the one true god is perfected in us in all its fullness for see how it cannot exist apart from the contemplation of the son and it is clear that it cannot exist apart from the holy spirit for such is the nature of the belief in each person of the trinity according to the scripture the jews indeed following in the steps of moses commandments rejected the many false gods and betook themselves to the worship of the one true god under his guidance thou shalt worship the lord thy god saith the law and him only shalt thou serve but those who still cling to the worship of the one true god as not yet having complete knowledge of him they worship are called thereto to know not that the creator of all things is one only the one true god but that he is a father and has begotten a son and moreover and yet more than all this 
to gaze attentively on him in his unchangeable likeness that is the sun for through the lineaments of that which is modelled we can readily attain to perfect knowledge of the model very necessary then was it for our lord jesus christ to tell us that those who have been called through faith to sonship and eternal life not only ought to learn that the true god is one only but that he is also a father and is the father of one who became flesh for our sakes and who was sent to restore the corrupted nature of rational beings that is of mankind chapter six that the son is not bare of god befitting glory even though he is found saying to the father and now glorify me with the glory which i had and so forth four five i glorified thee on the earth i accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do it and now o father glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which i had with thee before the world was our saviour's speech now intertwines the human element in his nature with the divine and is of a composite nature looking both ways not merging overmuch the person of the speaker in the perfect power and glory of his divinity nor allowing it altogether to rest on the lowly level of his humanity but mingling the twain into one which is not foreign to either for our lord jesus christ thought that he ought to teach his believers not merely that he is god the only begotten but that he also became man for us that he might reconcile us all to god the father and mould us into newness of life purchasing humanity with his own blood and venturing his life for the salvation of the world while though he was one he was more precious than all mankind he says then that he glorified the father upon the earth for he finished the work which he gave him to do come now let us follow out as it were two roads in our investigation of this passage and say that it has reference both to his divine and his human nature if then as man he says this you may take it in this way christ is for us a type and origin and pattern of the divine life and shows us plainly how and in what way we ought to live our lives for after this fashion the commentators on the divine writings give a most subtle exposition of the passage he instructs us then by what he here says that each one of us if he fulfils his allotted task and follows out to the end what is commanded of god then in truth he glorifies him by his righteous acts not indeed as though he had any lack of glory for the ineffable nature of god is complete but because he causes his praise to be sung by those who see his acts and are profited thereby yea the saviour saith let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven for when we are made truly manly and willing to do good works for god's sake we are not winning for our own selves the reputation thereof but are carrying god's worship into our actions to the honour and glory of him that ruleth over all for just as when for leading a profligate life displeasing to god 
we are rightly called to account as doing despite unto his unspeakable glory and make our own souls liable to punishment as the prophet tells if we hearken to his voice my name through you is continually blasphemed among the gentiles on the same grounds i think that when we display preeminent virtue we are then preparing for him a song of praise when therefore we have accomplished the work that god has given us to do then and most rightly may we attain to a freedom of speech in his own most seemly words and claim as it were like glory in return from god who has been glorified by us for as i live saith the lord them that honour me will i honour and he that lightly esteemeth me shall be lightly esteemed in order then that he might show us that we might suitably ask for glory in return from the only true god i mean glory in the world to come when we have displayed towards him perfect and blameless obedience and have shown ourselves keepers of his commandments to the letter christ says that he glorified the father when he finished the work upon earth that he gave him he requests however for himself in return no foreign or borrowed glory as we do but rather that honour and renown which is his own for we were bound to ask for it and not he observe how in and through his own person he first renders possible to our nature this boldness of speech on two accounts for in him first and through him we have been enriched both with the ability to fulfil those things essential to our salvation which are entrusted to us by god and also the duty of boldly asking for the honour which is due to those who distinguish themselves in his service for of old time through the sin that reigned in us and the fall that was in adam we both failed of ability to accomplish any of those things which make for virtue and also were very far removed from freedom of speech with god yea god to that end out of the abundance of his kindness spake consolation by the voice of the prophet saying fear not because thou hast been ashamed neither be confounded because thou hast been put to shame as then in all other things that are good our lord jesus christ is the beginning and the gate and the way so also is he here but if the saviour is seeking his own glory that he had before the world began and we suiting the meaning of the passage so as to make it apply to our case maintain that we ourselves ought also with great zeal to do god's will and so boldly ask for glory from above let no one think that we say this that it becomes a man imitating christ to ask for some ancient glory that was before the world began as do also to himself but let him rather remember that each ought to speak according to his deserts for if christ like us had only the human element in his nature let him then speak only as befits the earth-born and not exceed the limits of humanity but if the word being god became flesh when he says anything as god it will be suitable to himself alone and not to those who are not as he is 
Considering, then, the passage as though he spoke it more as a man, we shall take it in the sense given above. But if we reflect, on the other hand, on the divine dignity of Christ, we rightly think it has a meaning above human nature. We say, then, that he glorified his own Father, God, when he fulfilled the work which he received from him, not being his servant, or in any ministerial capacity, and this as of necessity, that the Lord of all might not appear in the lowliness of our nature, and that of the creation which is enslaved. For to perform the duties of a servant, and submissively obey the divine commands, is the part of men and angels. Rather, we say that he, being the power and wisdom of his Father, well accomplished the task of our redemption, entrusted as it were to him. As indeed also said the divine psalmist, expounding the meaning of the mystery, O God, command thy strength, strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. For in order that he may clearly prove that the Son is the power of the Father, though not separate from him, so far I mean as his identity of essence and nature is concerned, he first says, Command thy strength, bringing in a duality of persons. I mean him that commands, and him to whom the command is given. He suddenly unites them in their natural unity, attributing to the ineffable nature of God in its entirety the result achieved. For he says in his wisdom, Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. The Son, then, receives or has entrusted to him from the Father the work of saving the world. But in what manner, or how, God commands his own strength, we ought to examine and explain, so far as it is possible humanly to interpret things which exceed man's understanding. Let us take for example, then, some man among us, and imagine him learned in the art of making bronzes. Then let us suppose that he sets himself to mold a statue, or perhaps to repair one that is decayed or mutilated. How, then, will he work, or how will he repair, as he has determined? Clearly, he will entrust to the power of his hands and his skill in the art the fulfillment of what he chooses to do. But if anyone thinks his wisdom and power appear distinct in some sense from himself, so far as their conception is concerned, still are they not in fact distinct. For these also are included in the definition of his essence. You must think the case is somewhat like this wise, but must not accept the illustration as exactly similar. For God is above all things, and must be thought superior to any power of illustration. The sun and the fire, taking this by way of illustration, may be thought to occupy a similar relative position. For just as the sun commands the light which it sheds to illumine the whole world, and allots to the power of its rays as their function, so to say, to cast the power of their heat on all things that receive it, so likewise also the fire commands, and enjoins in some sort the peculiar qualities of its nature to fulfill its peculiar duties. 
but we do not on this account say that the ray and the light are in the position of ministers and servants to the sun or the power of burning to the fire for each of the two works by means of its own inherent qualities but if they appear to be in a sense not self-working yet are they not distinct in nature from their own some such idea we must hold about the relation between god the father and the word who is by nature begotten of him whenever he is said to be entrusted with work to do to usward his wisdom and power therefore that is christ glorified god the father upon the earth having finished the work which he gave him and as he brings his work to its fitting termination he claims the glory which always attaches to him and now that occasion calls for the recovery of his ancient glory he seeks it what work then has he fulfilled whereby he says that he glorified the father for while he was the true god he became man by the approval and will of the father through his desire to save the whole world and raise up anew the fallen race on the earth to endless life and the true knowledge of god and this was in very truth accomplished by the divine power and might of christ who made death powerless upset the dominion of the devil destroyed sin and showed incomparable love towards us by remitting the charges against us all and giving light to those astray who now know the one true god christ then having accomplished this by his own power the father was glorified by all i mean all those in the world who knew his wisdom and power and the mercy and love towards mankind which is in him for he has shown forth and manifested himself in the son who is as it were the likeness and express image of his person and by its fruit the tree is known according to the scripture and when the works were fulfilled and the wonderful scheme of our redemption brought to its fitting conclusion he returns to his own glory and assumes his ancient honour save only that being still endued with the human shape he moulds accordingly the form of his prayer and asks as though he possessed it not for man hath all things from god for though in the fullest sense as he was god of god the father he was invested with divine glory still since at the season of his incarnation for us he in a sense diminished it taking upon him this mean body he with reason seeks it as though he had it not speaking the words as man the wise Paul also himself had some such idea when he enjoins us concerning him. Let this mind be in each of you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, counted it not a prize to be on an equality with God, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. Wherefore also God highly exalted him, and gave unto him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, 
of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father for though the son is high inasmuch as he proceeded as god and lord from the father none the less is the father recorded to have exalted man in him for on man the degradation of his nature brings the need of exaltation he prays then for the recovery of his own glory even in the flesh he is not wholly bereft of his own glory when he so speaks even though he were to ask without receiving for the word being the true god was never robbed of his own majesty he rather refers to the glory which belongs ever to him and its appropriate temple in the heavens and his own return thither in the raiment of the flesh on which the interval of his humiliation had been consequent for that he may not appear to be claiming for himself a strange and unusual glory to which he had not been accustomed in time past he distinguishes it by the addition of the epithet before the world was and the words with thine own self for the son has never been excluded from the honour of the father but ever reigneth with him and with him is adored and worshipped by us and by the holy angels as god and of god and in god and with god and this is i think what the inspired evangelist john means to teach us when he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the same was in the beginning with god End of chapter 6